Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, welcome to Finish Well Podcast, Six Ingredients of a Great Curriculum. I'm so excited that you're with me today, and we're going to talk about how to choose curriculum that works for your family. So I'm going to give you some practical advice, including how I've looked for my own curriculum, but realized that every family is different, and what will work for me won't necessarily work for you. And we're going to talk about that more as we explore curriculum together. You know, every year in our area, there is this used book sale. It's in May sometime, and I have thousands, ten thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of books. I have bookcases in every room in my house, and I have a pretty large house, and Every May I go there and I want more books. It's just so exciting to me. And not only are books on sale, but curriculum is on sale and I look at it. And sometimes I come home with curriculum and my husband says, Honey, our baby is 23. And I say, I know, but there's the grandchildren. And I just... I love curriculum and I love living books, so I can tend to get really excited about those things. But over the years, I found that I cannot tell you how many things I have bought and never, ever used or maybe used for a couple weeks and realized, wow, this doesn't work for a family. So I have learned what to look for that works for me. And I'm going to share some of the things that I look for and that really kind of separate what will work from what will not work, and then also kind of give you some tips on what kind of questions to ask yourself so that you can formulate your own list. So I have a checklist of about six things that I look for when I'm searching for curriculum. Now, what's cool is as I talk about this over the years that I would kind of mix and match things to make them work for our family so that when I started creating my own curriculum and eventually publishing it, then I was able to put these things into practice. So if you ever go to our store, Powerline Productions, it's at our blog, powerlineprod.com, and you go shopping in our store and you look at our curriculum, they'll say, oh my goodness, it has all these things. Well, of course, because... I wanted to give our clients what works so well for us. And so anyway, I just over the years have had so much fun using curriculum, shopping for curriculum, creating curriculum. And so let's get started. One of the things that I learned early on is that because my number one reason to homeschool was to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, I need a curriculum with a Christian worldview or at least something that was more benign. So that was something that I would feel like, oh, this isn't a big deal. And then I would start using the curriculum and like I would see like little things in here and in here or even you're going to laugh at this. But even when my children were really little, I used the Christian math curriculum because 
I noticed that in the word problems, in some of the secular textbooks, they just like almost esteemed like bad attitudes or selfishness or things I didn't want my children to be esteeming. So yet like the curriculum, the Christian curriculum that we used talked about Johnny giving to missionaries and different things like that, that I wanted my children to grow up and do. And so especially when they're really little, those subtle things get in there. So how do you know that a curriculum is Christian? Well, I have a biblically-based worldview, and this is what I mean, that I believe the Bible is 100% true and that it applies to all areas of life. So I want to show my children how God's Word relates to every single subject we study. What I mean is this, that if the Bible says God created the world, I want to use curriculum that says God created the world. I believe that Mankind is basically sinful and that people need to be redeemed by Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm not going to use a curriculum that teaches that people are basically good and they can self-actualize and become perfect people. But I am going I do want to use curriculum that says, yeah, man is made in the image of God and capable of great good, but he also is born in sin and has these flaws and even after we're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit we still as the Bible says live in these jars of clay so I want a curriculum with a realistic view of people and not a false one and so those are just some little things I like literature where good triumphs over evil it doesn't have to be written from a Christian perspective it doesn't have to have Bible verses in it but there's certain basic things about a Christian worldview and if you're interested in this and you have the show notes six ingredients of a great curriculum there's two other podcasts where I address a Christian worldview one podcast is called what is your worldview and another one is called when worldviews collide now a link to both of those is in my show notes so if you go to my show notes at finish well podcast you can find that so that is the first thing then the second thing that I look for is content. So the first thing is I'm really looking for Christian worldview. Now again, everything doesn't have to be Christian. It doesn't have to be filled with Bible verses or anything like that, but it has to adhere to the basic premises that God exists, that he made everything, that we're accountable to him, that there's things that are good, that there's things that are bad, and that's defined by the Word of God. So then we go to content. Now, content is super, super, super important to me. I know that there are certain things that kids are just expected to learn when they study American history or study geography or study how to write an essay. I know there are certain basic things. So I look for the basics, but I also look for something a little more. And I'll give you an example. So I will pick up a textbook or I will pick up a curriculum and I'll look at the table of contents and that will tell me the breadth. That will tell me all the different things that it covers. Then I'll read a chapter and that will tell me the depth. So I look for the breadth in the table of contents. I look for the depth in reading a chapter. And I love it when 
a curriculum will go a little deeper. So, for example, say that I am studying, uh, I'm looking for history curriculum, and I notice that it does cover all the basics, but then it gives little biographies of different important people in history, and it doesn't just touch on, like, elected officials, but it touches on businessmen and missionaries and people that were artists or architects. And so it gives a bigger picture of just the facts. It introduces us to people. So that's just one example. Or maybe in a history curriculum, it will have really beautiful pictures of like artwork or buildings or people or fashion or something like that. So I know like when I created my 20th century history curriculum, I went into sports and fashion and books that were written and people who made a difference and missionaries and scientists who made discoveries and all kinds of things in addition to all the quote basics unquote because I wanted I wanted everyone who read History of the 20th Century to feel like, wow, we just stepped back in time and learned about what life was like. And that's what I'm kind of looking for in content. Now, when it comes to math, I am looking for enough content where the principles of how to do it are explained well. But in addition, there's enough practice problems so that they can become very proficient at doing the problems and getting them correct. If I'm looking for science curriculum, again, I'm looking for things to be explained very clearly. And it doesn't have, they don't have to use big words. In fact, the more simple things are explained, the more I appreciate it. And not that I don't ever use big words or not that I don't like big words, because I do, but so that something is explained really simply so that I feel like I can understand. I was reading a, a human anatomy curriculum once, and it talked about something to do with how our circulatory system is like a highway. So I took that, and when I wrote my middle health book, middle school health book, I took that further and I said, you know, our circular t- circulatory system is like a super highway. And when we get older, we find that there's all these little country roads that we could take as well. And those are like how our body creates little bypasses so that if our arteries get clogged, there's other ways for the blood to get around and get oxygen and nutrition to all the food. And so that illustration in that curriculum really helped me to be able to teach it to my kids and in co-ops and stuff. And I really love things like that. I love when things are explained so they totally make sense. Foreign language is a really good example because I have really struggled in finding good foreign language curriculum because I would find curriculum that was so good at learning how to speak. I won't say the name of it, but you probably know where you have like this headphone microphone and you talk into the microphone and the computer says, correct, or, you know, you're not pronouncing that correct and you have to go back and do it again. And I love that because, wow, that's what I want. I want my kids to be able to speak. I took three years of Spanish in high school and I can conjugate any kind of Spanish verb and read Spanish, but have a really hard time speaking it and listening and understanding it. So I really loved that idea. But then I realized, 
wow, this curriculum doesn't teach anything about how to conjugate verbs. It doesn't teach them how to really read Spanish. It just speak, teaches them how to speak and listen. So then I was looking at other curriculums, and they were teaching all about how to conjugate the verb, how to read it, but then they didn't really do much speaking and listening. So I guess I'm I'm just trying to tell you that content you want to think about what do you want in a curriculum. And sometimes you have to combine curriculums. And that's what I had to do for Spanish. I just had to combine two different curriculums. And that worked fine, but it can be pricey. So what are you looking for in content? And make a list of that. Again, if I can't find everything in one curriculum, sometimes I'll combine two separate ones. And another thing with content is I look for wholesomeness and purity and accuracy. I cannot tell you how many times I will read a curriculum and they will misquote something or they will have wrong dates or really just a completely give a completely false impression of what really happened. And I know we're in a day and time when especially we're rewriting history curriculum or just glibly throwing out numbers like this mountain took 40 million years to form. Well, I don't believe that the earth has been here 40 million years, but how on earth do they really know that? And it's just so things like that. I'm really looking for accuracy. I'm looking for a curriculum that sticks to what is true. And if the, if they're just kind of thinking out loud, they say, you know, it could be that blah, 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 but they're admitting that it's not necessarily a fact. So those are just some things. I like wholesome words. I like if there are people who are going to be talking to each other. Like a lot of times I'll put little vignettes or, or short little stories in my textbooks, but I always like to make sure they don't have to be perfect people, but that they're not like having bad attitudes or that it's pure, it's wholesome. It's something that I want for my children to enjoy. The third thing is usability. Now, this is so different for every person, and I was really surprised by this because I'm not a big detailed lesson plan. So you just give me the textbook, and I'll figure out my own lesson plans. But sometimes if I don't know how to do something, then I really do appreciate lesson plans. So that's not always true for me. I also don't use answer keys a lot, and so for maybe 10 years when I was homeschooling, I never bought an answer key. But then I came to some subjects, except for math. I always did have the answer keys for math. But just, I got into, I can't even remember what class it was, but I was like, oh my goodness, I need an answer key. And I went and bought my first answer key, and I was telling my friend about it. And she said, oh, I always buy all the answer keys. And I said, you're kidding. And so she said, yeah, I just, I want to make sure that I'm right and not like misunderstanding the question or something like that. I'm, I want to make sure that I correct it, you know, correct it correctly. And so I was so surprised, you know, but then I thought, wow, I also have met people who they don't want to make their own lesson plans and they really appreciate when things are laid out very detailed. And I really noticed this when I taught in co-ops. I had put together some high school English classes. We were using my high school English class, and they wanted it to be more clear and precise. And I was like, what? Why do you, you know, okay. And then I realized, wow, everybody is really different. So I know that now that when I create curriculum, I make it really, really clear. Do this. 
on this. This is the first week. This is the second week. This is what you do on your own. This is what you do together with mom or in a homeschool co-op. And so I, I just had to change the curriculum as I was, you know, serving others by teaching in a homeschool co-op or then publishing. I had to just serve the people that would use my curriculum. And that really helped me understand how different we all are and what's very important to one person might not be important to another person. So I try to make everything I create clear enough that people can use it without a lot of confusion. In fact, without any confusion. But I also try to make it so it's flexible because I know as a flexible, more flexible person, I like to take rabbit trails and get off the path a little bit. So I try to make the curriculum work so that it is flexible. You don't feel like you're completely boxed in. And one thing that I remember as a young homeschool mom, now this is way back in the 90s, and I was interested in this curriculum that was a full year unit study. The preparation for this unit study was so intense and overwhelming. I loved the curriculum, but the the preparation was too much for me. So that's another thing that you need to ask when you're looking at a curriculum. Usability for you, not usability for me or your friend next door, but how will this work for you? So I have learned over the years what I'll do and not do. Like I might buy curriculum that says to do certain things, but I won't do it. So why buy the curriculum if I'm not going to use it the way it's supposed to be? Or will it still work if I don't do that? So those are all things to consider because just because you buy a curriculum that works great, if you don't use it the way it's supposed to be used, it's not going to work for you. So you have to ask the questions of what do my children need, but also what will I do and not do? Like how do I like to teach? And that is honestly an important question. Sometimes we don't think about that, but how we like to teach and what really makes us excited about teaching should really play a part in the curriculum you look for. So I hope that makes sense. So we have worldview, content, and usability. And usability will be very different for other people. You and I may have the same worldview. We may want the same content. But in usability, we may be really different. So that, again, is important. We are going to take a quick commercial break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about three more ingredients of a great curriculum. Hi, I'm Laura. I had the privilege of meeting Meredith Curtis when my oldest boys were very young. When they were in third and first grades, and she recommended that I improve my homeschooling by reading classic literature, I took the advice and was amazed at the results. Later, as they approached high school and she offered to let us use her high school literature and writing classes, I jumped at the opportunity and was glad I did. Now, Powerline Productions has made those classes available to you. With titles like British Literature and Writing, which includes some of my favorite classic literature, American Literature and Research, where students learn how to write a research paper, and the perennial favorite, Who Done It? Murder Mystery Literature and Writing Class, where students actually learn the art of writing their own murder mystery, and more. There's plenty to choose from. For more information, visit powerlineprod.com. That's P O W E R L I N E P R O D. Dot com. Powerline Productions, 
being world changers, raising world changers. You've been listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast on the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. Now back to your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, welcome back. We are talking about six ingredients of a great curriculum at Finish Well Podcast, and we've talked about worldview, content, and usability. And now we're going to talk about flexibility, and I kind of touched on that a little when I talked about usability. One thing that I really, really like is for my whole family to study together. So a lot of times if I'm looking for curriculum, I'm going to ask, Does it have to be used for just one person or can I use it for the whole family? And I love it when a curriculum can work. It doesn't have to be designed for my other family members, but say sometimes we're doing a curriculum geography with my middle schooler, but it's so interesting and fun that I can read the whole thing out loud to everyone and everyone can be interested and know they might not be able to do the map assignments, but they can do the craft together with us. So those are the kind of things that are important to me. I love when it can work for the whole family to kind of at least be part of it. And then another thing, as I've gotten older, and even though my children, I mentioned in the beginning that my children are grown, but I still teach in homeschool co-ops. So because I teach in homeschool co-ops, when I look at a curriculum, I think, can this be used with at home with a family, independently, and with a homeschool co-op? And I try to create all my curriculum so that it can be used that way. If you go to Powerline Productions and you buy a high school English class, you can use it at home with just your child, or you could teach it in a homeschool co-op. So I've created it so it will work that way so that you have a lot of flexibility in how you will use it. And all of my classes have been used alone with my children and in group settings. And you learn stuff when you teach classes in group settings and you're able to create so that it works in both. But I love it when a curriculum works in this flexible for both things. And then can you rearrange the schedule? Can you stretch out the schedule? Can you shorten it? Is it adaptable? So that's important, too, because I wasn't a big scheduler, but I've noticed from creating my own curriculum and having my customers call me or text me and say, hey, this is, can you give me a schedule? I'd rather have a schedule. So I do lay out my curriculum now so that it is scheduled. But I always tell people at the beginning of the book, in the how to use the book thing, I always say, you know, this is your curriculum. Do whatever you want with it. You can omit things, you can add things, you can lengthen it, you can shorten it, especially with unit studies. Like I'll say this is a three-week unit study, but honestly, you could take like seven weeks and do the unit study because I put so much into it so that the people who really just want to do everything they can do everything they can, but other people will take it and they'll they'll write to me and say, oh, 
we took eight weeks to do the travel to lending unit study. I know that's only a three-week unit study. I'm like, no, there's enough work that you could stretch it out over that time. So anyway, that's just the concept of flexibility that all of us are different. We work at different paces. We have different workload levels that we like for our family. And so will the curriculum work with all of that? Fifth thing is the cost value. Now, when I say cost value, I don't mean getting the cheapest thing out there. In fact, that can end up costing me a lot more in the long run. Cost value to me means that the curriculum, the resources, the unit studies I buy are worth the price I pay for it. And this is personal and really different for every person. I know there are people, they try to homeschool completely for free, whereas honestly, I don't mind spending some money on my curriculum. I try in both my own curriculum to to keep it really inexpensive. And sometimes other people will say to me, you should charge a lot more for your curriculum. I mean, this book is 500 pages and it's under $50. And I say, yeah, but I just want it to be affordable for families because I know that when I was homeschooling, there were years that we really struggled financially and it it took everything to be able to scrape together money to buy things. So when you're when you're purchasing curriculum, are you getting what you pay for? If it's a core curriculum, is it worth the price? And by that, like if you're doing unit studies, a lot of times people will use a textbook as kind of the the spine or the core of the the unit study. So is that going to work for you? Is it going to cover everything you need? If it's supplemental, do you need it? Is it worth the price? I both have bought as a homeschool mom and still do and create and sell timelines, cookbooks, literature, maps. And I I tell you what, to me, those supplemental things make it worth it because it, it brings the fun factor in and it also makes it more alive. It, it just stretches out the learning from beyond like rote. Okay, here are the facts, memorizing. It, it, it brings it to the hands-on level, which I think is really where we retain information. So the cost factor is important. And again, it's going to be different for every person. Finally, my, oh, and what I was going to just suggest before I go on to the fun factor is I love to go to homeschool conventions and actually hold and look through the curriculum because a lot of times that will give me the decision that I need. And one more thing I want to say is I spend at least half or not more of my homeschool budget on living books. I've always done that. I think that living books are the most important thing, both fiction, literature, and nonfiction. If you have a library where your children always can just grab a book and sit down and read, and you have a wide variety of amazing books from a Christian worldview with really good content that's accurate and wholesome, your children are going to learn so much. And yes, school hours, you'll use your curriculum and you'll use your supplemental stuff, but those books... They are just going to feed your children with so much knowledge and insight, and they're going to create in them a real love for learning. So I highly recommend building a homeschool library, and we should probably do a show on that, a podcast on that. So anyway, but moving on to the fun factor, 
The fun factor, I just, I love to have fun. I'm a sanguine and I love to laugh. I love to have fun. I love to joke around. I love to read out loud together. I love to do things together. And so the fun factor matters to me. Now, I know people that it doesn't. They really don't care about the fun factor. So if that's you, thank you so much for joining us. No, I'm kidding. You might consider that the fun factor may be important to your children. So if our chosen curriculum doesn't have it, like if we decide we're going to use a textbook and we're using the textbook and some textbooks like Mystery of History, in other words, they have like all kinds of activities, suggestions, apologia in the early grades. Those textbooks have all kinds of great ideas of of hands-on fun. But some don't, and yet they're good textbooks. And so we add things to make them fun. So what kind of things do we add? Well, we might cook and bake. And this is a real favorite in our house. If we're studying geography or history, or even we love to find food science experiments or build food models, like, you know, Twizzlers can turn into so many things, <laughs> like like DNA. But anyway, so we love to cook and bake. And one of the things we've had so much fun doing is collecting recipes. And then finally, I said to my friend Laura, wow, we have all these recipes. We should turn them into cookbooks because we've had so much fun with cooking and baking. So if you go to Powerline Productions, you'll find several cookbooks to go along with history, to go along with geography, and always more coming. (laughs) So then we love timelines, and we've made our own timelines. We've bought timelines. We've created timelines and, and packaged them. Laura's done the timeline figures, and they're so beautiful. So timelines, but timelines just bring they they help history make so much sense. We really like them. Watching movies and TV shows. Now you're going to think, whoa, that's not school. Yes, it is school. One, one thing that's so neat about studying the 20th century is you can watch movies or TV shows that were created from every single decade. Now, TV didn't really come around till the 50s, but before then, you can find movies. And yeah, it's just really funny to watch them because you think, wow, movies have come a long way. But it really does immerse you in the culture when you watch a movie or watch a TV show that was created back in that day. Because you see the way they talk to each other, the way they they treat each other, the way they dress, all those different things. Games are so fun. And I know Monopoly... Is a pretty old game, almost a hundred years old. There's games like Clue that came out. I think Clue came out in the 1950s, but don't hold me to that. And things like Frisbees, which came out, I think, at the very late 1950s or early 1960s. And so there's all kinds of games, of really old games like chess is from the Middle Ages. Um, checkers go back checkers go back to the Egyptians. So there's always games that you can find to play related to the period that you're studying. Hands-on activities. These are so fun, like making a volcano and watching it explode, making a map with the mountains raised up and using blue clay to do the river. That is so fun. One thing our children have really loved to do is to create skits, radio dramas, and commercials. 
they have also learned so much by creating them because you have to have the content to do those things. Mapping, I mentioned before, we love mapping. We love reading living books. We love historical fiction, geographical, geographical fiction. All of those are so fun. And we love writing poems. One of the things that we do in history and geography is write a poem, just randomly write a poem. And I found some really easy poems. For example, a sense poem. I love to see blah, blah, blah. I love to hear blah, blah, blah. I love to taste blah, blah, blah. And you do all five senses and then you write a final line. It's a simple, super simple, easy poem to write. But it kind of introduces poetry into our homeschool. My children are not, we're not ever big on poetry. So I kind of had to like sneak it in the back door so that we could end up doing something. And something that a mystery of history introduced us to was limericks. And we would write the limericks, and we had so much fun doing that. Music, of course, music and art. And you can get fine art postcards, or you can pick up a fine art book in a used library sale and find all these beautiful pictures. And you know, if say the say you pick up this fine art book and there's some good pictures, but there's tons of nudes, just pull out the pictures that you like and throw the book away, because some of those pictures, wow, some of these books, the pictures that are in them, and maybe the book is like 16 by 20 or something, it's huge, and you can pull these pictures out and you can use them in your studies. Crafts always, always fun. When we were saying the Amazon jungle, we made butterflies. You know, there's so many beautiful butterflies in the Amazon rainforest. And we made these beautiful butterflies with tissue paper. And we could have just said to the kids, um, we're, there's a lot of butterflies in the Amazon. But if you actually make a craft related to that, then it just changes everything. It makes it more fun. Dioramas are really, really great. Uh, we built a diorama when we were studying World War One for trench warfare, and we built no man's land and then the trenches, and we used the little tiny soldiers. It was very simple. We just used pieces of cardboard and wire, and it wasn't super elaborate, but it really makes a difference in kids enjoying and learning posters, brochures, booklets. We occasionally like to lap book, even with the older kids. You know, we might do like a a one topic lap book that, you know, we're doing a whole year's study and maybe during one week we'll make a lap book because it, it's just a different way to learn. Having teens blog about things, even science experiments, having them blog about what they did, that's really fun. Dressing up. Dressing up and, and pretending that you're living in a different time period is super fun. Traveling, actually traveling, going places, taking field trips, writing stories, games, sports, history parties. All of those are what I considered the fun factor. And when I'm choosing curriculum, I look for the fun factor. When I write curriculum, I put the fun factor in because I think when you learn about something by doing a few fun things it doesn't have to be like every day we have to have, have you know a lot of fun but when you add really exciting fun things it just changes the whole way that you look at learning for example when we're learning about the 20th century one of the things we did was design an amusement park because they even though they they kind of came into being a little bit 
at the end of the 1800s, they really became super popular in the 20th century. And so we all designed our own amusement park. And then we shared it with each other. And it was so fun to share things, the amusement park with each other. We also designed our own airlines. And that was really fun, too. Everyone shared the name of their airline, where their hub would be, how many flights they would have a day. And then we started talking about serious things like how many employees would we need? Well, what kind of employees would we need? And it really gave us insight into actually creating and running a large business. It There's a lot that goes into it. So I could have told the kids, well, there's a lot that goes into running a large airline. But this was a way to kind of show them that. So when I'm looking for curriculum, when I'm creating curriculum, the fun factor is an important ingredient. It's it's not the most important content. It's the most important worldview, the most important. But the fun factor just, it's like leaven, you know? The bread, it's got the wheat in it, it has all the vitamins, but then you take the leaven, and it just makes it more fun to eat. <laughs> more fun to eat than like a really, really thick, heavy piece of bread, but you lighten it up with the yeast, and it's really fun. So... I have gone over with you things to look for when you're looking for curriculum. And I've talked about worldview, content, usability, flexibility, cost value, and the fun factor. And I do hope that when you're curriculum shopping this year that you will visit us at powerlineprod.com and visit our store and look at our material. I think you will really really enjoy our high school classes, our unit studies, our living textbooks, our cookbooks, our timelines, our how to have a history parties, like how to have your own Victorian tea, how to have your own medieval banquet. We have, oh, and we have Bible studies too. We have got so much that your family will love, and I hope you will check us out and purchase something. I think that you will really have a good time. I know that I get so much positive feedback from people that are trying our materials for the first time and inevitably they come back and and purchase other things. So God bless you as you're curriculum shopping and we look forward to next podcast. So until then, remember you are loved by the Lord and he has a great plan for your life. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.